All right. How are you? You good? Nice one. My name is Matt Barr. You listen to the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast, the show where I try and cover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavors. If this is your first visit to my virtual shores, then thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoy this episode with the great Cairo Foster. And I hope you stick around to check out some of my other episodes. You can find show notes for this one. Sign up to my newsletter and find the full archive at my website, www.wearelookingsideways.com. All right then, so Cairo, going to say this up front, this is a great episode. It's a very moving, fast-paced chat with plenty of depth that I enjoyed personally very much indeed. Now, if you don't know Cairo, he's a legit street skating legend from the States who is well over two decades, I mean, nearly three decades into a singular and iconic skateboarding career. I mean, he's had two nine club episodes, which goes to show what caliber of individual we're dealing with here. And which also I recommend if you want to get into the full kind of classic backstory of Cairo's life and career. Because if you've listened before, you'll know that's not really what I do here, especially when it's already been so well covered on previous podcasts. And besides, we had a specific reason to chat Cairo, who is a close friend of Ben Ramers and teammate on Enjoy, has collaborated with Real Skateboards and the Ben Ramers Foundation to release a new Actions Realised board from Real, which is coming out towards the end of this month, July 2021, at the time of me talking, with full proceeds going to the Ben Ramers Foundation. Now, we've been trying to get this one off the ground, me and Cairo, for a year or so, probably even longer, actually, in fact, it's definitely longer because when I was in Portland, we tried to do it and he was away. Um, so I'm friends with Cairo's wife, Trish, and we've got loads of friends in common. And we've ended up talking on Instagram, emailing back and forth as we tried to get our shite together to do this. And from those interactions, I had a feeling this one was going to be a keeper and I was right. I think you're going to enjoy it. I'm not going to harp on much longer here just a little warning we do talk in detail about mental health and suicide in this episode so if these topics are triggering or uncomfortable for you please tread carefully and be aware of that i'll be back at the end with some links to explore if you do want to find out more about those topics but in the meantime here's me in cairo homecoming enjoy Are you an early riser? Because when we've been trying to organize this, you've been like... I am very much an early riser. You know, we've got the time difference. You're you're Portland, right? Is that right? Yeah. And you've every time you've been like, ah, oh, you know, we can do it like 6 a.m. my time. And I've been like, okay, he he, he must be... Uh, is, that, is that how it's always been or is this a new thing? Um, I think the early rising happened. It was just part of like becoming a dad. So like when you have a kid, yeah. then you start waking up super early and then, um, yeah, kind of from there, I just naturally wake up early. And then when I was at Adidas over that five year span, like I started work, waking up really early for work. Um, and then it was like an opportunity here in Portland, at least the last five years, like it's a way to like go skate in the morning before work. Yeah. Especially during the winter hours when, uh, there's much less daylight. So, um, 
you know, try to get it in the morning or like if you're exhausted from work, I don't know, combination of a bunch of things, but I'm getting to that point yeah. where I'm naturally getting up around like five thirty to six thirty without an alarm clock. That's kind of like me. I, I wake up at six and I've, I've just realized that I, I think my brain just works better in the morning. You know, if I need to, if I need to work or whatever, like I've, I'm definitely, there's that really interesting book at the minute. I don't know if you know, but it's called, um, how we sleep. The guy just did, the guy just did this big rounds and all the podcasts. And it's really mm-hmm. interesting because he's talking about, you know, the way that different people's brains work and the way that they, um, basically like that they literally are, um, physiologically two types of people very obviously early birds and night owls. And, um, his contention is you can't, you just can't force it right. either one or the other. And, and, and you, and you're better off like just w- working out which one you are and kind of, you know, accommodating if you can that accordingly, which is obviously like good in theory, but I'm definitely as, a, especially as I've got older, I'm like, yeah, early. If I need to get stuff done for sure. Absolutely. Has that changed for you? Um, I think I've always, I don't know, as long as I can remember the last, like, yeah, definitely the last like 16 years that my daughter's been alive. Like I'm just an early riser. Like if I start staying up super late, then it's kind of brutal for me to get through the next day. So I'm yeah. usually in bed by like 10, 11 and then up by like five 30. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it, man. Oh no, it's great. Trish is always talking about sleep and how important it is. And everyone talks about how vital it is to get eight hours of sleep. Um, so the thing is, if I go to bed at 1am, I'm still going to get up at like 6.30, the latest. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, it's great to meet you because obviously we've been chatting online for quite a while now, probably, you know, on and off, definitely like last couple of years talking about doing this. And then obviously I'm friends with Trish, your wife, um, through snowboarding. Um, yep. and last time I was in Portland, we actually went for for dinner which was great um and caught up with um you know because i'm friends obviously annie you know and jen shirowski i'm mm-hmm. assuming that you you know um yeah who actually just uh contributed to the book that i just did which is great um and like yeah so you obviously every time like i think i was last over like nearly two years ago and i was i think i, I think you were out of town because i got a hold of you to try and do this in person then um and yeah, it's 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 cool to finally do it after all the kind of back and forth. So yeah, thanks, man. No, I'm stoked. So one of the things we've been talking about is uh, and and kind of like the timeliness of this conversation as well. So you've got this new project um, that you're that you're working on with Real and and the Ben Ramers Foundation, right? So can you tell me? Should we start with that? Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so. Um, I think, I mean, the idea came up pre pandemic and, uh, the guys over at Rio reached out and like, Hey, we were going through some archives and we found some old, old, um, graphics like Todd Francis had done of yours. And we were thinking about doing a reissue and I was super flattered because <clears throat> I have like nothing but fond memories, like writing for real. And deluxe. So I was just like, oh, this is really cool that you guys are going to do this. 
um, like I saw the original art, like everything that people are seeing now, it's like, it was like, here's your OG graphic. And then we're going to do a Chima one, which is rad. Cause like, I'm a huge fan of Chima and it was like two boards that came out and then things just kind of stalled. COVID happened in, you know, like I, I think at a certain point, like if you're doing reissue boards for not that every reissue board has to have a rhyme or a reason, but I was just like, Oh, is it, can it like link up with something uh, more meaningful than just like, Oh, cool graphic brought back to life. <laughs> and uh, I always love everything they do with actions realized. And then with, with Ben passing to, you know, with su- to suicide, um, it was like, how, how can we, like, I really loved all the stuff that Rattray had done, has been doing consistently about mental health awareness. And so, you know, Ben was a part of my life traveling with him and with enjoy and it's like it was kind of like the perfect way to make uh, a beautiful cake like how, how do we like bring i don't know like bring bring awareness to the ben ramers foundation like I, I feel confident that like people really know what's going on with the work that they're doing over there but i think anything in that realm can always benefit from more more like discussion so i don't know it's just like hey what, what, what do you want to do with uh any of the money that comes from the sport i'm like can it go towards the ben ramers foundation and then we talked a little bit more about it and um how, you know talked about the rollout how what's the call to action and everything and it's it for me at least it was like a learning experience of like Oh, it's a really difficult subject matter, and it, there's a lot of nuances on how to speak about it correctly, how to like share your learnings, and how to like get people to look at it the way it really is. And it's also like it's it's different resourcing wise, like how things are in the UK versus the US. Like working with Ashley Rayfield here. Uh, in the U.S., she works at Real, and just like understanding how support for like suicide um, lifelines and stuff like that, like that's different. It's going to be a little bit different than it is in the U.K., which kind of dives into like the health system. Um, so for me, it was like, like to get back to your original question, it was just like it all kind of like because it was delayed for a while, then it was like, Hey, let's roll it into this and really bring awareness around it. And it's been, I didn't think I was going to, not that I didn't think I was going to learn anything, but I learned a lot more and I don't know shit about mental health awareness, but like I learned a lot, just like doing the piece, like filming the piece and like the nuances of how to talk about mental health awareness, let alone like where to go. So that that was that was a question that I had for you actually because when we were emailing and we were sort of discussing like what we were going to talk about, you said I've, I wrote it down actually in front of me. You said Can, it'd be great if there's an opportunity to touch on my lack of knowledge around mental health. And I was just quite struck by that. Like, so is that is that what you're kind of getting at? Like the idea that is is it was it before what happened with Ben? Was it was it not something that you'd really considered? Was it not something that had been part of your life, or did you mean as you've just described, like how to communicate it. 
Yeah, it was, it was more about uh, how to speak about the subject matter of suicide. Like I've, you know, like when we were doing the, vi- like there's going to be a video component that comes out when the board lands in more skate shops. And it was really awesome to work with Jeremy and Ashley on, on that video. Like we filmed for like an hour and a half and it's a really, really short video with like a few, few sound bites, but it was things like, like I'm 45 and people look at, well, there's a terminology like what suicide is and when you die, like when suicide takes your life, you know? And I wasn't really approaching it that way and using kind of like antiquated ways of describing that. And then when when you talk with people who are more aware and like, hey, you know, mental health is a really serious thing. If you die from suicide, it's not like, you weren't weak or lesser because you died from suicide. And I think some of the the way we talked about it in the eighties and the nineties and so forth is just like, someone can just jump to that conclusion. Like, Oh, you just couldn't hack it. And that's not the the reality of um, suicide. And so I was going through it and just saying these things that like, I've just grown up saying, and then talking more about it. And it was, you know, Susie over at uh, the Ben Ramers Foundation, she linked me up to do this living works workshop, like a, a really short one that wasn't with a group. And it's cool. It has like some resources, understanding uh, some basic signs. Like I, I have like close members to me that like a close member to me that like had shown these signs and had attempted um, suicide. And um so the workshop was really good, but like, I'm still speaking about suicide in that way. Um, and, and I guess just to make it like clear, just so everyone stands, like, I'm like, oh, they took their lives. And that's kind of like an antiquated, that's an antiquated way to look at it. Like suicide and mental health and depression. Those are things that like are diseases and they took our life. And I'm like, oh, okay. It's, it was really cool and eye opening to hear that because um, until you until someone like tells you about that and the reasoning behind why we say the things we say, you don't know. So I was actually like, I felt really grateful. Like, Oh, I'm saying this. And you're telling me like, ah, it's kind of not the right way to really talk about it. And so, um, I think that was, that was the big learnings through this process, um, about talking about the board, talking about the Ben Ramers foundation. And, you know, it's, it's important because you don't want to, you don't want this to have, you don't want like depression and suicide to have the stigma that you don't want to talk about it because anything you don't talk about kind of like isolates each person. And if no one's talking about it, you're just in your, like in your, in your corner trying to figure out all your stuff. Like that's not a really helpful situation. Yeah. I mean the, the, the work that the foundation are doing, obviously, a huge part of it is dismantling these stigmas, isn't it? You know, like in trying to give people the tools to talk about this in a, in a way that will help them understand it and also help them. Well, and also like culturally help the culture that we're all part of handle it in the right way. Cause it, cause obviously when you're a kid, you know, you get into skateboarding or whatever, surf, snow, like climbing, like whatever these cultures are, mm-hmm you get into them when you're a kid, you get into them at such a 
important age don't you you know because they're you know, a huge theme of this podcast and all the podcasts that are out there at the minute are all you know the idea of community tribe always comes up and it is critical because you, you especially if you're a young boy you know you, you you find these things at such an important age when you try to find your place in the world and you're trying to work out who you are and obviously something like skateboarding really gives you that identity but it's quite fair to say that quite often those cultures are, are, are pretty macho, you know, like, and there's a particular way that men are supposed to behave, right. you know, in that culture, especially the age we are, you know, we're the same age. And like you say, in the nineties and two thousands, it was very different, wasn't it? You know, it was never discussed. It was like, if you're a skateboarder, you behave in a certain way. And, you know, even like the way that, the industry kind of basically talked about men, if you like, was a very particular way. And it, it, you know, created a scenario where there's not a lot of room to talk about this stuff, you know, basically. And, and, and I think that's what's so valuable with what they're doing this foundation, because, you know, hopefully there's kids that are coming up now who are able to, find their place in the culture and find their place in the community, but also do it in a way that enables them to kind of do it in a slightly different way, which I'm sure, sh- I'm sure, you know, what I'm getting at like it's, and, and that that's obviously progress. And, and, and I think when you look at, when you look at the, that, yeah, I just think, I just think projects like you're doing and, and, and the work of the foundation, this is, this is obviously what's so valuable with it. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. And I'm like, you know, I'm just like, for for this board and to like work with Susie and Rob and the foundation and everyone with actions realize like I'm just like grateful like I'm like a blip on the conversation and like to your earlier point like I have no illusion that um that like there's so much room for growth and to to move away from like the the antiquated like one way to look at like this is how any industry is and it's oftentimes like very like macho male dominated and so i think that that will continue but the idea is to have more i get not dissenting voices but more voices that are speaking a different reality so that that reality becomes smaller i i've i've like i don't know when it'll become drowned out but the idea is to have these other voices and then in rebuttal to um, the, you know, there's commentary like, Oh, if you're talking about this stuff, like you're soft, or if you're talking about that, like what, that's like, that's so lame or whatever, all that stuff. I'm just like, it doesn't affect you if you're still in this other bubble over here. Sure. Your bubble's still getting smaller, but it still exists. And it's good that it's getting smaller because that we don't want that to be, the one way of thought, like there's so many humans on earth and anybody that has like, like a quote unquote dissenting voice or a different voice typically isn't going to destroy your way of life. So like people talking about mental health, talking about depression, uh, talking about equality or inclusion. I'm just like, how is that really affecting your day to day? It's kind of like the, Olympics conversation when people are just like, oh, skateboarding Olympics is going to go ruin skateboarding. I'm like, 
it doesn't ruin your skateboarding. Your skateboarding is like your truth and you do it every day you step out the door. So if anything, like maybe you like going to the skate park and now there are more skate parks. So just having this opportunity to talk about it and like I'm stuck, like all the stuff that John has done with Why So Sad. Um, I'm, I've always been a fan of it. And then having this like tiny little blip of an opportunity to do this with uh, the foundation and real simply just with reissuing a board. I'm just like, oh, I now I'm like make time for when John reaches out like, hey, do you want to like go on a bike ride? to for the why so sad like annual eggplant like sad plant or or something like that i'm just like it's about getting support about really vital things and it's and and at the end of the day it's not changing like who i am it's just making me more aware and ideally it does the same for somebody else but you know there's not going to be a massive sea change but we need to talk about all these issues and they're not issues they're just like situations that humans get into at some point in our lives I think that point you make is really important. You know, the idea that, you know, it doesn't actually threaten your position, like to, to consider, I mean, cause you're talking about considering new ideas, aren't you? So many mm-hmm. areas of life right now where this is being debated essentially. And I think to be fair, skateboarding is really, really good at it. You know, out of all the kind of sideways cultures for want of a yeah. less clunky phrase, I think, I think skateboarding is is definitely the most progressive. I think, you know, right now, obviously there's always work to do, but right now it th- there's a lot of really positive, interesting conversations happening, right? Where um, that the, these new spaces that you're talking about are allowing different perspectives to flourish, which is obviously great. For sure. So a question I had on this. So when you were a kid, did you, did you struggle with this? Like this, this kind of like, you know, taking your place in the, the culture aspect that we're talking about. Was it something, you know, when you look back, was, did, was it, was it anything that you struggled with? Like, um, depression? No, just more like the kind of the, the identity, you know, like, like, you know, we were talking about this idea of, what it means to like be a skateboarder and how you're supposed to behave as a skateboarder. Like when we grew up as like younger kids in like the nineties or whatever, did you, did you like find it difficult to, to find your place through those expectations or was it something you always took to quite naturally? No, I, I think, it, um, I, I, I don't, I think the only challenges like in, in the, the late eighties and nineties in skateboarding was just trying to find, it was more like, my life outside of skateboarding and trying to find that outlet for identifying with something that kind of like gave back to my soul. And I didn't know it was giving back to my soul, but like skateboarding was that, was that opportunity. And like in, in Egypt where I started skating, it was like a bunch of misfits that went to uh, an international school and they didn't like fit the boxes that, you know, the, the jocks or the musicians or whatever, or, or, I mean, the reality is like, we did fit those boxes, but that wasn't, uh, it wasn't scratching the itch completely. So like, we were also a group of misfits to a degree, like I'm a complete nerd. So I'm like, 
<laughs> but I needed some kind of outlet. And so uh, the skaters that I found in Egypt, like one of them was super punk and got me into music. And another one, um, to, I mean, a lot of them, we all came, majority of us came from like military families, but like one of them was super regimented and like you knew that they're going to, into the military at some point after high school. But like it was all like brought together by skateboarding and music and not like anarchy in the sense of like destruction, but just like not doing the norm of <clears throat> really identifying through your sport, really identifying through good grades or, or whatnot, you know? And then, yeah, I, no, I, I don't, I don't think like it, it didn't, it didn't seem like a struggle up to then, I guess, like before that I was like getting in fights all the time. And I don't think it was cause I was like misunderstood by any means. It was just like, we're just part of like growing up type of thing. But yeah, no. Yeah. And in, in your foot, I was really wanted to ask you about the, that actually, like in your first nine club interview, you talked a lot about basically how much you moved around because, because you, and, and you know, changing schools a lot and, that because am i right in thinking you kind of had that international school upbringing then where you were kind of like would go to like different because what what were you, what were your parents jobs was it your dad's job that was that was moved that was meant that you were moving around a lot yeah my dad was in the, he was in the air force for a super long he was in the air force like for 20 years and then worked for the air force as like in civil service for 16 years and so he's a contractor and we we just so i guess he was a contractor the whole time he was done active duty by the time I was born, I think. And so we like right. lived in Egypt, Germany, and it was all just like working for the U.S. Embassy, doing stuff with the military. Um, but yeah, that it was cool. It gave me the opportunity to move a lot, but it was also challenging because you're always the new kid in school, which I think kind of goes back to the earlier thing, like of being in fights all the time because you're just, you know, you just end up being an easy target if you're, you have Coke bottle sized glasses and you're the new kid that's there for half the (laughs) half the school year so not like feeling like a victim by any means but it was like an easy target um and then getting to egypt it was a much more diverse uh environment because the school was an international school as opposed to like moving to a small town in Alabama or moving to a small town in New Mexico or moving to, cause a lot of these, the air force bases would be close to a larger city, but we would live in a sub- suburb in a tiny little suburb. And just like there, there's less diversity within that school system. So in Egypt, it was like everybody from all walks of life. And I'm super grateful for that. I'm, you know, I'm grateful for like to travel cause then it's exposure to a bunch of different parts of the United States. Cause the U S is, you know, outside looking in like, oh, those are Americans, but there's a wide variety of what America is. And then going to Egypt is like, oh, well, here's a lot of different countries represented in my eighth grade and ninth grade and 10th grade classes. And then you had like the French international school and the British international school. Um, So it was, it was, it was a leg up, I guess, in understanding just a multitude of cultures in one place in egypt of all places yeah 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 i mean it sounded um again just in reference to that interview 
where you talked about that in quite a lot of detail, it sounded like a, quite a culture shock for you when you when you moved to Egypt. It sounded like you know that had a big impact on you. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, I guess it was like a. It was. I. It was an eye opener. Like we had traveled a bunch, <clears throat> and then being there was the shock. Was like this is what developing country poverty looks like. And not to say that poverty doesn't exist in the United States, but there are different manifestations of poverty. And so I think that was really eye-opening and just how easily you can walk by death and, and, and severe poverty and despair, you know, while being in Egypt. I'm just like, oh, whoa, this is so wild. And then skateboarding has been really cool to allow me to continue to travel like the earlier portion of my career, just being able to travel to a lot of places that, um, you know, 401, Kenny Reed, uh, skateboarder. It was like all like, how do we go to, how do we find the exact same spots there in our backyard in an exotic land? And so that was really a, a cool opportunity to continue that journey of like self, self growth and understanding, like just exposure to different cultures. Cause there's, I don't know, like, like there's no one culture that's like the right way to do things so that the more you see, you're just like, okay, I have an understanding now why this culture is this way. There's probably a lot more in, in that package to that got them to right here. So for me to just judge them off of the one visit I have is not necessarily the right thing. I think travel at that age is, is critical, isn't it? I think it, it, it really like, as in like the, I mean, obviously you've talked about this the the pro skate travel which is which i'm really interested in hearing more about but um yeah like having the experience when you're a young kid of of seeing different parts of the world is so formative i mean i was lucky enough to travel a lot when i was um same thing my dad had a job for an oil company so i lived in the middle east for quite for i lived in Mm kuwait um for four four years i think three or four years between when i was sort of up until I was like six, which is pretty funny because a lot of my friends don't know about that. And um, whenever they find out about it, they always think I'm bullshitting because I'll never really mention it. But it is so, fact of the matter is, it just, it gives you a different perspective, doesn't it? Because like you say, you're just suddenly more, you're more open to the idea that different cultures aren't necessarily threatening. Let's put it that way. Um, which Which I do think is, is at the root of a lot of the the kind of conversations that are going on right now, really, you know, like the idea that different is bad at the end of the day, which is the more you travel, the more you realize, at least in my experience, that everyone's the same, really, wherever you go. It's just, it's just, it's just the sort of reference points that are slightly different. You know, you, you mentioned poverty and you mentioned different standards of living and, you know, but ultimately people, wherever you go, as you'll have, experience yourself that just got the same hopes fears interests laugh at the same jokes you know you can have the same experiences and it's it's a beautiful thing isn't it at the end of the day yeah you're like if you get to travel and see that you're like oh damn they're the carrot that's the carrot of life that's in front of them that's dangled in front is the exact same carrot that's dangled in front of us it just has a different book cover 
but you're like, oh shit, they just want to have a good life with good people, friends, family, and not die uh, in a really shitty way. Whether that's like not having like proper health care or, or having violence take their life. It's like everyone wants to be surrounded by people that bring a smile to their lives and they want to go away knowing that they had an impact on their friends and family and that it was like a fruitful life. Yeah. I sit in it. <laughs> so th- then you're like looking at, you know, you look at the news and you're upset at someone over there because their what what you think are their values seem different than yours because it has a different packaging. But then if you get to travel and you get to talk to people in in on the other side of this television screen or computer or however you're getting your news, you're just like, oh shit, you want the same stuff I do. How do we? How do you as a human succeed the way I think humans should succeed and vice versa? And like kind of getting yeah. out of the way, like it's always funny when people like not to get into like a religious talk, but like when when one group has all these values, but they're like berating another group. And then at the end of the day, you're like you flip around and it's the same thing, but you're like you pull back and they have the exact same values. And so like that kind of goes back to the human thing. Like we all have the same values like you were just saying. So, uh, yeah, travel is it's good. It's good. And so you can experience it in person and like you can poke the person like they're real and they want the same shit that you want. Yeah. I mean, I did a lot of traveling through snowboarding in the early 2000s. And I think it sounds like quite similar to what you were just saying with with your skate travel. You know, we were literally just like. I mean, we would get the map out and go, what's the weirdest place we can go snowboarding? Um, so yeah. We ended up traveling a lot, a lot to like, the, we went to Iran, we went to Uzbekistan, we went to Lebanon. Um, and that was the time when obviously the Gulf War was going on. Mm-hmm. And quite so when we went to Iran, um, and it was an amazing experience, which I've talked about before on the podcast, but initially people did judge us by the actions of, of our respective governments. And I mean, mine and yours, you know, like, so in the same way that you're saying that you tend to look at cultures, I think everyone does this as well, like through what you see on TV. And and that was a real lesson for me because, you know, the idea that I could be judged on the fact that my country had invaded Iraq was just laughable to me because that was so far removed from what I believed in. And and it's just a real lesson because, you know, it, so why would I then judge somebody out? Why would I judge a Chinese person based upon like the Chinese communist government? Why would I judge an Iranian person ju- based mm-hmm. upon the fact that they've got, you know, theocracy or whatever? Like it's just, it, it, it was quite a big lesson really. And I think, I think that's another reason that it's so important. And also to be honest, why I've, it's the one thing I've really missed this last 18 months. Like it's the least I've traveled since i was probably 16 i think really and that's the aspect that i really miss you know not the experience yeah but the kind of cultural exchange that it involves you know which is really Mm -hmm. the point isn't it so what where were some of the places that you guys kind of went to then because you had some crazy ones didn't you yeah we had uh i remember going with thomas campbell we went to uh vietnam we you know, uh, I, the crazy, I guess the craziest place, like shock value wise is like 
having the opportunity to go to Kabul with the skate stand to like go see oh, the yeah, skate stand yeah, program. So that was really amazing. Um, there's been a few trips that Jonathan Maring had invited me on that I really wish I could have made, but it was not possible given like uh, just responsibilities at home that I had, like doing the Trans Siberian and then going to to India. Um, but yeah, like Southeast Asia, um, nothing like, I feel like, and this might just be because I've traveled a bunch, had the opportunity to travel all these places. I'm like, none of them seem like too wild, but like when you pull back, like, the wildest would be going to Kabul, uh, Vietnam way, way before any skateboarders had ever really been there. It was amazing to see Sumner and uh, Adrian Lopez shut down the street, like kind of like stuff you see in China, but like it'd be, it was like 500 mopeds, just like traffic jamming so they could see uh, these two people ride this toy that they'd never seen before grinding a handrail. And that was really fun. Yeah, um, my, going to China is always fun low. for me. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 cool to see uh, how fascinating a skateboard can be for some people who've never been exposed to it. Um, yeah, but going having that opportunity to go to Afghanistan was like a. It's geographically, it's really beautiful there. Ever since leaving there. I'm like, how do I get back there? How do I go to Pakistan? Like, how can I just go hiking? But it feel like it'd be like, I need to devote months and months to just hike and be camping out there. Um, the, the wide variety of different cultures and, and races and like, it's, it's the center of like the Silk Road. So it's like all these different people and beautiful faces and i'm like whoa it's wild here how how amazing it is but how much turmoil is going down there um like yeah i remember we were on a we went to go eat i was on the back of a motorcycle and our motorcycle someone had kind of fiddled with it while we were inside eating and everyone in the cars had left so it was just me and sharna who's one of the co-founders for skatistan and i'm riding on the back and she a, a woman is driving the motorcycle and i'm just like it was like the only time we were there where I was like, I'm feeling a little anxious. Like, is this a good scene? Um, but we ended up getting the motorcycle going. Uh, but yeah, like it, it's also crazy to see the military power that's in a place like Afghanistan. And I have friends that are photojournalists that just like have talked about the flip side of it and how gnarly it is. And I definitely believe it, but like it was I thought it was a good experience to go there without having um, having security around us. Um, but I think a lot of people would be like, that's batshit crazy. <laughs> um, Philippines was pretty wild. That was another time where I remember going out there, seeing kids bathing in the puddles on the side of the highways that were like filled with trash. It kind of, it was heartbreaking to see, and it reminded me of being living in Egypt. Um, but yeah, it's it's amazing that skateboarding, or or kind of like any sport, allows people the opportunity to travel to far off lands. And then it's great that if your sport that's or like your activity or your art is something that doesn't keep you stuck inside of a studio or an arena, because 
just the nature of skateboarding and street skateboarding in the streets, you were exposed to people just going about their daily lives as opposed to like, I was on the swim team when I lived in Egypt and I got to travel to Europe for swim meets, but I'm just going to another swimming pool and sure, like I can go through the cities and check it out, but um, you're here to swim. But if you're here to skateboard, you're like, what's the most cutty spot that has this amazing stuff? Like when we went to Croatia, like we did this two month pop war trip, which was great because Serbia was another one that was eye opening and kind of like talking about what you're saying, like who's at fault. I remember when we got to Serbia and we're skating in this plaza, um, some of the local skaters was like, this is what you guys did here. This is what the U.S. did as part of NATO and in your your head, you're trying to like rationalize You're like, it's NATO that did this, but I'm like, yeah, but who's really like the major shareholder of power within that. And I was like, okay, cool. Like that's super jacked to see that in person. That's, that's funny. We, we went, um, I mean, bulk rides amazing, isn't it? Absolutely loved it. Mm -hmm. But I went, we went to a report, a resort about three hours from Belgrade and we were riding and I was like, can we go down there? And the guy, we had a guide mm-hmm. who was like, no, you can't go down there. There's an, ex- there's an exploded bombs that you dropped, you know? And I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. We won't go down there then. Yeah. It's really But wild. you know, those things, those, that, those experiences, again, they just help you make the connections, don't you? That there's real people at the end of these transactions whose lives are actually affected, you know? which again is, uh, yeah, is definitely something worth remembering. I mean, on your skate career, the other thing that I wanted to ask you about, I'm not going to make you like recount like the, how you got into skateboarding and all that stuff. Cause obviously, you know, you've done quite a few of the episodes over the years where you've talked about that, but you have, you know, retired yeah. in inverted commas relatively recently. And obviously you were, pro for so long since you were a young kid so I'm, I'm interested you know big part of this conversation has obviously effectively been about self-identity and you know like how you how you kind of de- like how that changes as you get older you know so how, how's that been because because when you've been when you've done some when you've defined yourself by something for so long I mean what was it for you 20 20 plus years you know, like to, yeah. to ch- when that when that gets switched off, like how's that transition been? I've, uh, it's been good. I, I think like looking back on it and, and being where I am now, like it's been a good journey. Um, I think it's like it's it's really ironic. Like, you know, I remember being 20 and it's like, this is like part of skateboarding life and just like all the things you tell yourself. Like I remember being 20 talking to a friend, like, Hey, we're, if either one of us don't get married to someone else, by the time we're 25, we're going to get married together because it was just like the good homie. And she's like down for that. And then you turn 25 and you're like, well, that's not happening. And then, so I'm, I'm like a pro skater. And then I'm just like, okay, I'm going to do this till I'm 30. And then you see someone else that's older, that's still doing it. So I turn 30 and I'm like, shit, Maybe I can keep doing this till I'm 35. And then at the same time, I'm like, oh, that's so wild. Like there are pioneers who have been skateboarding or been in the skateboarding industry for so long. Like I look at Grant Britton and I'm like, amazing photographer. And obviously from much earlier generations than myself or like working with Mike Ballard, where I'm like, oh, cool. You, how, how 
I'm like, how are you like in your late 30s or 40s and you're still skateboarding when I was much younger? And then now I'm in my mid 40s. And through that journey, I'm like, okay, skateboarding is that thing that gives gives you fulfillment. And so it's my duty to honor that and like stay in skateboarding and just be like, how do I keep skateboarding uh, a part of my life? And, and maybe I have the opportunity to like be how Grant for me is where I'm like, oh, that's possible. Like someone else might just be like, oh, how is Cairo still in skateboarding? Like I worked at Adidas for Adidas skateboarding for a while. And then now I'm at NHS, like managing mob and Richta. And it's like, to be a part of an, of something you love doesn't mean you need, there's only one option. Like there's so many amazing videographers, photographers, cinematographers who are part of skateboarding or journalists where I'm just like, oh, if you were to leave like Mackenzie Eisenhower, if he were to leave, I'd be like, oh, well, I really miss those articles or um, so, so many people like I'm thinking of Blayback, like Blayback's been there every step of the way for the last, I feel like 20 years of DC. And I'm just like, he's integral part of that story. And like, he will be there for the next 20 years. And uh, um, I don't know, I think I'm kind of rambling, but the, the journey is just, it's, no, I got, yeah, it's been good. And kind of like, got, yeah. yeah, like when I reflect back on, I'm like, yeah, you're, you're fully addicted to skateboarding and this is where you should be in when i was at adidas like i got a chance to move into a really great opportunity but it wasn't in skateboarding and i quickly realized i'm like oh it's like how do you fill your cup up and i'm like it needs to be associated with skateboarding so um it constantly just goes back to that and then surrounding yourself with people who are supportive of that, whether they're within skateboarding or not, or have like an understanding, like with, with Trisha, she comes from snowboarding and competitive snowboarding. Like I'm not, I didn't come from competitive skateboarding, but like she understands the lifestyle of what, what falls under the umbrella of action sports and like that life to travel and be a part of this big group of people, which, you know, I have friends from high school that didn't go down that path. And I, I, I think, they have a very full life, but it's just a completely different lifestyle than my style of life. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I, I think personally, I re- reached the realization recently that I don't think there's anything else that I can do really. Like, I was, and I, I so funny listening to you describe that because I, I completely empathize with what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I remember doing my first season snowboarding in the French Alps when I was 20, and um, there's some guys that are in the 30s and we were like imagine doing this when you're in your 30s that's yeah. fucking crazy you know like and then obviously i'm same age you mid 40s still doing it basically and recently i was just like i mean this is it like there's nothing else i can do you know like and that it's almost a bit scary in a way it's almost a bit like right okay this is it committed. Can you do this when you're 50? Can you do this when you're 60? Cause I'm going to find out essentially, you know what I mean? Totally. Um, but yeah, it, it just, it just opens up, doesn't it? I think we're lucky cause we're off the generation, like you say, where we had people before us that had already done it to show you the way, but equally there's different opportunities to I mean, you can have these different paths through it now. 
because I think mm-hmm. that's definitely changed. Um, yeah, and on the job thing, that's interesting because again, I was going to ask you about the. Um, it's funny I used to say Adidas when I was a kid, but I've had Adidas nailed into me um, recently. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm saying it improperly for sure. Yeah, like but when um when on your nine club again, your last one, the stop and chat, you can you did talk about the fact it was almost too far removed from skate culture, even though you appreciated the opportunity and the things that you learned but it sounded like it got to the point where you're like nah i can't do this anymore was that a big part of the reason to shift it back to what you're doing now yeah for sure it was um i i would say it's like the biggest the biggest part to like to to not like not necessarily like the shift to get back or to it was just like a big mirror, I guess. The best way to describe it was just a mirror, like grinding it out in skateboarding or in the skateboarding industry or working on the back end of anything that contributes to skateboarding. Um, looking in the mirror, I'm like, cool, I'm happy to do that. But then looking in the mirror of like supporting like a big, big partnerships to sell a bunch of product to uh, people who buy into the hype that's not associated with skateboarding just didn't feel good. And I was really proud of all the work that uh, I was able to participate in with like these huge teams. And um, there was just a leak in the cup, you know, <laughs> like I was putting all the yeah. energy in, but it was still seeping out because it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't rolling on four wheels. And so it was just like, that you know there's talk and and there's talk of like hey maybe you can move back into skateboarding and if i would have stayed there long enough i think i would have had the opportunity to move back into the team there and i would have been really grateful for it but sometimes it wasn't like the writings on the wall but sometimes it's like the universe is telling you maybe you should look in another direction maybe there is an opportunity and so that came up like talking with jeff kendall uh over at nhs for a handful of months and like that opportunity came up to like come back to nhs which is super funny because i was sponsored by uh by mob and richta and crux and i had done some stuff before i even started adidas like i had done team management at crux and it was almost like a homecoming and more in the sense of like kind of going back to like referring to grant or uh or, or anyone else within skateboarding who's like of a older generation, but still in skateboarding, I'm like, Oh, you're, you've come back to the right place. So if, if the time had, <laughs> if the transition back into Adidas skateboarding had been quick enough, I would still be there probably. But, um, as things would have it, like, you know, it's the opportunity at Adidas originals was amazing. Like hands down, people would be like, what, why are you, why are you leaving? And I'm like, cause this seven ply piece of wood that's why <laughs> i don't know it's 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 super funny it sounds like a homecoming though it sounds like you yeah. feel like you need to come home almost you know what i mean absolutely like, and i i said i would say that for like the first month or so that i'm like i'm back with the family at any time i would talk to someone at uh nhs that i knew back in the day when i was working there so it's cool and you know like skateboarding i'm grateful that skateboarding as an industry 
is of a size that allows for that kind of mobility. I, I definitely wish it was larger so that more people who have the passion and the love of skateboarding could find a gig. And so I feel really grateful that that opportunity came up. And then for me, I'm just like, how do I, how do I like use this role to like help everyone that's on the skateboarding side, like that's traveling and doing cool shit. Like how do I help support them? Because, you know, like if you're sponsored am pro whatever, like there's a finite time on that and you want to look, I, I want everyone to look back on those experiences really fondly like oh that was cool like i was able to do that and at different times in your life after it's gone away you'll start to like pull like oh that was that was possible like me writing for supernaut skateboards was possible because mike ballard and ted newsome and paul sharp were like hey let's invest in this random kid from florida you know so now i'm on the flip side and it's just like how do we help out with with that kind of stuff. And I don't know if that's how other brand managers feel, but it's just like, it, it feels really special. Like it was funny. We went to, uh, um, to bend the other day and Trisha ran into, uh, a few friends and she was like, yeah, I think it was some snowboards that she was like, yeah, that was the first person that got, that I spoke to and got me on Sims or something like that. And I was like, well, that's amazing just to like have that moment of like the, these people are really impactful in your lives. And not to say that I want to be like, my job is to try to be impactful in people's lives, but I'm like, you may or may not ever know it, but I want to help out because it's such a rad journey to yeah do something sick with your skateboard that besides just like going out to your driveway. Like if you're able to take that to, doing contests or traveling with your friends or getting exposure to uh, going to Cambodia for like a skate stand thing there. Like that's amazing. Yeah. But it's great to be able to tell those people, isn't it? You know, like it's another good part about getting a bit older. Cause obviously when you're a kid, you're a bit like, yeah, I, yeah. The course I just got hooked up, you know, like or whatever, like, you know, it just feels like that's what happens. It's only when you get a bit older that you're like, wow, that person actually changed my life. You know, like that, that that decision that that person made was absolutely huge. And one of the things I've really enjoyed about realizing that is actually kind of just like telling people sometimes and just being like, you know, and, and also like you say, paying it back in the way that you're trying to do by when you see somebody in the position you were in all those years ago, being able to and know you're in a position to help them and put them on their path. It's a great thing. Yeah, I mean that's how that's that's that is the community in action, isn't it? Basically, yeah, and it's like a responsibility that I think I have, and to try to and just and tr be really aware of all the different aspects that make skateboarding what it is, and it's not just gnarly skating, it's not just skating to raise awareness, it's not just like fundraising skateboarding, it's not just Olympic skateboarding, it's all of it. So. Um, yeah, it's just, as long as you're, you have a, a, a love for it and ultimately I'm sure it's, it's just like a love to get out and move your body and do something rad. <laughs> I think that's why like, yeah, yeah. I mean, with Trish or like going snowboarding, like that's like a big part where I'm like, when we, when we have that access to the outdoors or to 
uh, the slopes. I'm just like, yeah, we should do it because we, we know that it's there. And at some point it won't be there anymore. You know, whether it's like by my physical body or just by the restrictions of like the environment. That's what I tell myself when I'm having the battle about whether I should do like, you know, go for a run or do yoga or whatever these days. I'm like, we'll have the choice pretty soon. So make the right choice now, you know, because yep. it, because you'll miss it when you can't do it. Um, I'm going to ask you the Olympic question just because we're talking like 10 days before there's a lot of hype. You know, you already kind of laid out your stall there as a bit earlier, but what, what is your take? What is your take on it? Cause obviously it's a huge, it's, you know, it's a huge thing. Like, and we can't, it, it will it have an impact and, and, you know, you're in a good position to kind of probably have an educated take on that. So I'm just interested really. No, it's not even like, do you think it's a good thing? I wouldn't even be that reductive, you know, because I don't think it's a question of whether it's good or bad. It's just, it is what it is. So what, but what, what are your thoughts? Um, the Olympics is skateboarding in the Olympics is a completely positive thing for skateboarding just in the same way. Well, for a variety of reasons, but like, to simmer it down, it's a positive thing for skateboarding just in the same way that like Deerdick's show and Sheckler's show are positive things because it gets more people to see skateboarding as an opportunity for you to become a physically moving human being. You may not do it the cool way. You may do it the whack way. You might get bad product or you might think that you need to be a competitor you might need to be like the soccer moms and soccer dads might have to come out of the woodworks so some people will be like that's the bad thing but i'm like it's a net positive because it brings skateboarding front of mind and people are like oh you can skateboard human beings can skateboard because not everyone knows that and like sure you can be famous so like i think it being in that in there is positive and then whether you whether someone wants to think that it's like it's like governmental marketing to be really fond uh, or patriotic of your country when there are points in many people's lives i i bet that like you sing like your national anthem or whatever or there's like a moment that's like very patriotic that you will want to shed a tear or it's pulling on your heartstrings. So then I think when I think of the Olympics and the opportunity for any human to be a representative for a, their sport or their country or even their gender, I think that's awesome. And I go back to the thing that I said way earlier, like I don't have as a, like I'm a street skateboarder. Like I don't, uh, really skate transitions. I don't skate bowls or anything. And so if everyone in skateboarding was like, Hey, you need to start skating transition. That doesn't change my ability to still go out in the streets and skateboard. So like having people go to the Olympics, having the Olympics be a part of skateboarding doesn't change how it sure. It changes how people come up to you and be like, Oh, Matt, why aren't you, why aren't you going to the Olympics? Why aren't you doing it this way? I, that's what I saw on TV. And you're like, uh, but just just take a pause and think of all the people that we grow up around that are telling us how to do our things. It's no different. It's just someone talking, adding to that conversation like you should be doing it this way with the Olympics tied into it. But it doesn't mean that you had to do it that way. So like Olympics, yeah. it's good. 
I think it's really good. Um, I think, you know, and I don't know like a lot about competitive snowboarding, but the, the only thing I can think of is just like the challenge is like when you see, like, I think like going into the half pipe is super daunting. It's like a massive 22 foot wall thing. I'm like, maybe there's a time in skateboarding where it's like, oh, the, the obstacles that you need to skateboard to be on a competitive level might be super duper restrictive to get into it because it's so gnarly. And that's the only thing that I, and that's just, that's actually not Olympics. That's just competitive skateboarding. I'm like, that's my only concern really is just like, do all the handrails need to be like 13 stairs? (laughs) Yeah. And I think the answer is in skateboarding. No, I think, you know, obviously like in snowboarding, like you say, it's a bit of a unique case snowboarding just because obviously it takes, you know, the, the barriers to entry are just, there's more of them, you know, mm-hmm. to, than there are with skate and surf. So like end of the day, like it does require a few resources. It does require a very contrived environment to make it happen. Whereas you just don't have that in skateboarding, do you? It's just not about that at all. So I think snowboarding was always a bit more susceptible to the, to the kind of, um, you know, negative influence that, that has in a way, we don't even need to go there. The point is that like, I, I think, I think skateboarding is just fundamentally not that. And mm-hmm. like you say, it won't, it just won't change it. It'll, it'll like, it'll be a thing and that'll be that, uh, you know, I, I, I just think it'll be like tennis, golf, whatever, every four years, everybody's yeah. like oh yeah they're all they're all doing that you know and then and then every, for the rest of the time they just they just do what they've always done forever i just think it'll be like that with skateboarding personally right. and 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 like you say you just hope there'll be a trickle down in terms of a positive impacts on the industry skateboarding generally so it's going to be interesting it's going to be interesting to see i mean for i'm sure. really looking forward to watching it for sure i'm, I'm excited to see here who's going to be like you know whenever the olympics uh, or any competition in snowboarding, it's like, do you know who Sean White is? And do you know who Chloe Kim is? And you're like, there's so many other people. Like, I'm interested to see who's going to be those marquee uh, skateboarders that you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired of hearing about that person. <laughs> there's so many other people, but it's going to be good. And I kind of think like, you know, not that to make like another analogy, but not that they're like complete parallels, but I'm like, is is uh the olympics good or bad and i'm like longboarding like a lot of people who are like i'm a core skateboarder they hate longboarders but i'm like is it good or bad i'm just like it's it's neither here nor there for me i'm like cool like i wouldn't i don't envision myself being a longboarder but like it doesn't take away from me being a skateboarder and i'm sure there are shop owners that are just like oh it's great because it brings more dollars in so i can support core skateboarding and the olympics are going to bring more parents in that are like oh i want my kid to be able to skateboard can i buy a board from you so i think that's a good thing yeah 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 definitely i agree hey so to wrap it up i just had a couple more questions um about ben actually if that's all right of course yeah um just because obviously we we started talking about the the project the realized project um because obviously he was a good friend of yours. Um, so I, one of the questions I had was 
can you contextualize Ben's importance from from a US perspective? Because I think in this in the UK, you know, he's so beloved and he's mm-hmm. like and part of that is obviously, you know, in UK skateboarder, you know, any UK skateboarder that basically cracks America, if you like, is obviously has a really exalted position because it's quite it's obviously more common now, but it's still it's still rare enough for it to be a big deal. And I think that was a huge part of it classic local boy done good kind of thing you know with like ben why why people loved him so much and why it was such a loss but but we don't often hear like his his importance from a u.s perspective if that makes sense and i know he's a friend of yours but i'm just i'm just interested in your take on that really if that's all right um yeah it's um we it's we talked about, I mean, for me, Ben just really embodied and I, I don't really like talk like any of my friends who pass. I'm like, I try to like talk about in the present sense because like they're still all here, Ben included, like in our memories and just what they represent. Like Ben, Ben embodies, um, for me, he always embodies like this, this, young innocence and and happiness and it was infectious and the smile his smile and laugh really it just put it just puts me at ease like to hear it and um in the travel that we did and like you know i i lived in a different city when he was living in san jose so i didn't get to hang out with him a ton but we we did hang out a lot and and we did some trips and it's always, I just always go back to just the energy and, and the, like, it's like a bright light kind of anything that Ben says and the way he approaches stuff and, um, and just watching that arc of him learning these experiences. So I think that that's how I, view my my relationship with Ben and I think that 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 happiness and that glow is um is the impact that he has on everyone here in the states like that's gotten the chance to travel and to see him skate in person and and be around that like we all have friends on this wide spectrum of just like oh they're like a stick in the mud all the time but they have a great heart or they're like happy-go-lucky and you would never make the decisions that they're making but they're so happy-go-lucky that it's going to work out and i think that ben is that happy-go-lucky uh enamored with every aspect of life personality and um yeah that's that's like the 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 big thing that i miss for sure So I think, I think, um, you know, we, we miss everyone that passes and everyone that passes has a different impact on our lives. And I think anytime I do talk about Ben, I'm just like, it's a bummer that, that I'm not going to get to hear him laugh again. Yeah, it's the hardest thing. I've got a really close friend 
similar story and it's those moments i think that that are just never get easier yeah <laughs> it's super wild like um it's me i i feel like i still have so much more to like not unpack but just like Like every time I do talk about Ben, I get really upset and not, not upset. Like I'm not mad at any, anything or any action. I'm just like sad. And I'm like, oh, there's more to unpack here. And like the really analyze what impact he has on my life. And so, and I didn't, it was funny, like not funny, but funny and like uh, my nervous tick. It's, it's, it was funny when I was doing the thing with, uh, with the actions realized board and we, we were talking about Ben and I was like, Oh, I didn't think I was going to like shed a tear here. And like, I didn't even think about it talking to you today about it. I'm just like, wow, there's like, I, I say like, I don't really know Ben super well because I didn't get to spend the same time that maybe like Carson and the guys in San Jose got to spend with him, but he truly has had a really huge impact on my life and i think it's just that that innocent happy glow that is ben it's it's he um has an energy that i think most almost all humans should aspire to have like a kindness so and and i think you know doing the the living works workshop and this little tiny journey for me, I'm just like, Oh, you don't know jack shit about depression and and mental health. And it's the, you know, the call to action, not even with that board, but the call to action, just reflecting on being a human is like, we need to check in, not check in, but like, you, you just got to be aware of all this shit that makes life challenging. Like it's not, it's easy and it's not easy. And we have all have different tools that we start with and we pick up different tools along the way. And so just be kind to one another and share those tools so that you can surround yourself with people who bring a smile to your life. So well said man hey Cairo I was so looking forward to this and that was it was such a great conversation thanks so much for doing it I really appreciate it yeah it was really great I'm you're gonna get me going in a minute yeah (laughs) and thanks for talking about that of course I I, I appreciate it to ask you those questions um so let's just let's just wrap it quickly by um by just telling people where they can find out more about the project and and get their hands on a board yeah, so um, my underst- you know, like my understanding is that some of the boards are landing in Europe, and um, I think at the end of this month they'll be landing here in the U.S. Um, at local skate shops, and you know, it's all all the all the proceeds are going to go to the Ben Ramers Foundation. Uh, my hope is that that helps continue to share the message and the importance of what 
the foundation's doing of what just how important life and happiness is, you know? Um, yeah. That's the biggest thing. Like we're, we're all in this together and sharing a high level of compassion for your fellow human is vital. And that includes taking the time to talk to someone who is going through life, you know? And so, um, you, you I think it'll be on the actions realized website and, um, you'll get more updates on, I'll be sharing it on my Instagram and the Ben Reimers foundation. And yeah, I just, I don't know, like this, this work has been really good opportunity for me to just be aware. Like we all have to do our part. Yeah. Amazing, man. Well, I'll share the links show notes so people can, um, I'll be, I'll be, obviously post about this on Insta as well and I'll share all the links to your stuff. So yeah, we'll get, we'll make sure people can find out about it. Thanks so much, man. What, what a pleasure that was. That was really great. Thank you. Thank you so much, Matt. So there you go. That was me in Cairo and I hope you enjoyed it to find out more about Cairo, head to his Instagram at Cairo Foster. And while you're there, you should probably follow real skateboards as well. So you can find out more about the board as it drops. Um, if you've been affected by any of the issues discussed in these ep- in this episode, please check out the work of the Ben Raymers Foundation. I mean, you should check it out anyway. You know, I think everybody listening to should check it out because it's a very, very worthy organisation and a brilliant initiative in memory of Ben, who, as you can tell from a couple of episodes now, is much loved and much missed. It's www.thebenraymersfoundation.com ramers is r-a-e-m-e-r-s there you go and while you're at instagram you can follow me at we look sideways you'll see also some portraits for this episode taken by owen tozer um, which were taken over zoom like a lot of these portraits we've been doing during the covid era and i'm going to nick a line off my friends lauren and dave from their water people podcast but yeah that's the place to go if you want to debate anything about this episode I will be putting a video version up on YouTube, but to be honest, I'd rather see Dave Lee Travis play Macbeth than uh, to quote the great Paul Calf than get involved in the YouTube comment section. Um, people do comment and I never really respond because um, for my own mental health, I try and limit the interactions that I have on social media. So Facebook, I do have a Facebook page. I never look at it, even though people quite frequently leave me messages and stuff on there. So sorry about that. I also, like I said, don't really look at my YouTube stuff, um, but I do look at Instagram, which seems to be a nice, friendly space. So if you want to chat about anything regarding this episode, you can find me there. Or you could also just send me an email, podcast at wearelookingsideways.com. Anyway, thanks, Cairo, for your total honesty and sharing your vulnerability in that way. As you can probably tell, I did enjoy that conversation very much indeed um this is the part of the podcast referred to by me and long-term listeners as housekeeping corner so um if it's your first time let me know what you reckon anyway i've been thinking a lot about interviewing people recently mainly because as i mentioned at the end of the last episode with trevor graves i've been preparing a talk on how to interview for this corporate gig i've been asked to do basically this company down in cornwall in england have asked me to teach them to make podcasts for their internal use. Um, why not, eh? So in preparation for that, I've been 
placing a thoughtful hand on chin and wondering about how it all works, this whole interviewing game, how I approach it, and also perhaps as a natural consequence of why I do it. Now, I did boil it down to 10 points, which I did post on Instagram, which did, um, you know, spark a bit of debate amongst my podcasting peers. Uh, so this talk, I think it's coming together quite nicely. And it's usually I do these blogs that I put out every fortnight. I don't think I'm actually going to put this one out as a blog because I do think it is more valuable as a talk. So as I said last time, I do do talks. And if you want me to do one, this could be a good one. Hit me up. Anyway, while I've been doing this, like I say, I've been wondering about this whole interviewing business and indeed this whole podcasting business, which has been interesting because I'll be honest, there's been a few occasions recently when I have been wondering why on earth I'm doing this. I mean, I think it's probably human nature, to be honest. One of my best friends, Ewan, is a guitarist and he's been playing live with Bonobo for the past 15 years or so. And in that time, I've watched as they've gone from pretty small venues to the, you know, enormo dome packing global super act everyone knows and loves today. Interesting fact, actually, Cy Green, who actually is Bonobo, is a huge snowboarding fan. And I have made a few efforts to get him on the show over the years and have been completely ignored. So I gave up. Anyway, last time I saw Ewan and Cy and Bonobo play was at the Brighton Centre here on the South Coast a few years ago. I mean, that feels like a throwback. Properly massive gig. Really good. Anyway, I was really proud of you, and obviously, and afterwards we went for a few pints. This is back when I was drinking, and I asked him what it was like because, full disclosure, me and you and grew up making music together, and it was always a bit of a dream of ours to kind of, you know, play some big shows, which we never did in that band. Um, but you know, to see him actually achieve that is brilliant. So I asked him, you know, what's it like? Because he's done some massive shows. You know, he's done Red Rocks. He's done Ali. He's done uh, Ali Pali. You know they've played. They've done like Glastonbury. They've played to like tens of thousands of people. And Ewan said it's cool, but like anything else in the world, it gets a bit boring after a while. Which you know is quite funny, but probably there's a lot of truth in that. Now I'm not saying that this is getting boring. Far from it. I'm very privileged to be doing this gig. But almost five years in, eighteen months of those pretty much exclusively done by zoom there does come a point when it does become routine and you do start naturally wondering why you're doing it should you carry on doing it and should you be doing something else is there a, is there a more useful use of my time because obviously this takes up quite a substantial amount of time i'd be lying if i said i've not been thinking about these things recently um and then you have a conversation like this with Cairo, with somebody on the other side of the world who you vaguely know, but you've never met and with whom you've got friends in common. And it's a truly beautiful moment shared between the two of us that I'm then able to share with you via this medium. And then I'm like, ah, that's why I'm doing this. So thanks Cairo, not only for the lovely thought provoking chat and for being so moving about your friend Ben, but also for reminding me why I do this and for reminding all of us about what's important in life and ultimately that none of us are getting out of here alive. Always worth remembering that one and always worth acting accordingly. So one final bit of housekeeping today. If you're still with me, good good on you. Um, now, I don't chat about my day job on here that often, but I do have a day job. <laughs> People are often quite surprised to hear that. 
But I do have, I've got two day jobs, in fact. I'm a journalist and I uh, I run a business, a business called All Conditions Media, which is a marketing agency. And I've been doing that now for 16 years with lots of my very clever friends down here in Brighton, particularly my friend Jojo, who runs it with me. We work with action sports, adventure travel and outdoor companies. Why am I talking about this? Because we've got a really good job going. We're currently looking for a new head of strategy and creative can find out more about that and maybe even apply by heading over to our website www.allconditionsmedia.com clicking on the us page and then scrolling down to find out more and perhaps even apply yeah um also i said that was the final thing but there's another thing the media apprentice thing so i'm going to partner with good rays on that i think now full disclosure time i'm actually an investor in good rays um They did a funding round in May 2021 and I invested along with quite a few of my friends, actually. I thought I'd just put my money where my mouth is. So I am going to partner with Good Race to do this Media Apprentice thing. And I've been talking about that a little bit. And essentially, just to recap, I'm going to try and find a new journalistic editorial content, etc. voice. Um, I'm going to try and find somebody new and hopefully give somebody a bit of, leg up, bit of a leg up into the industry. So we're just chatting about how that's going to work right now. But what I'm going to do is launch a competition um, and you will be able to enter. There'll be a cash prize. There'll be a load of good raise on offer. I can guarantee that. And I'm going to, the winner will get the opportunity to record and put out some type of episode on my platform. Don't know what that's going to look like yet, but you will be able to, you will be published on Looking Sideways and also on my blog, which is available via the link on my homepage. I send out a newsletter. There's a big lot, there's a big old archive of blogs on there now, but I send out a newsletter every two weeks and every other fortnight there's a blog um, from either myself or one of my guests and you will also get that platform. That newsletter goes out to quite a lot of people. I'm talking in the tens of thousands. So, uh, you might want to do it when it comes out. It'll be, you know, this is aimed at people who, I get a lot of people listen to this that are always like, you know, I always want to get into the industry and I've got an idea and I don't know how to do it. And this is, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping to find some new people, some new voices, hopefully some people from a diverse background. And also we're going to do it every year, I think. So it'll be an annual thing. So it'll be like the Looking Sideways Media Apprentice. And I will help. I guess the word is mentor. I'll mentor you to put your podcast and your article together and we'll get it out there. So uh, I'm probably going to try and do that in August. So keep an eye out. Follow me at We Look Sideways because that's where it'll be going and also do it in the newsletter as well. All right, that went on a lot longer than I thought it was going to go on. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Caro for the chat. Thanks to Owen for the pics. Thanks to Fina, my editor, for making it sound as slick as ever every week and to Duncan for taking care of the video content on YouTube and Instagram TV. Legends, one and all. I'll be back next week with the latest episode of my Patagonia Type 2 podcast. And that is yet another cracking chat. Nice one. I'll see you then.